This morning's scripture is in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is God's word. Joe and Nate, could you guys put that one on top of that one? So that's going to, you'll find out later. Yes, okay. Now, now I've piqued your interest, right? So it's been a privilege. We've supported the hams for, since I don't know, about 17 years. They were our very first mission support that we've done, and um, our goal is to support missions long-term and just continue to grow uh, in that, so it's a, it's a privilege. This morning, as we move through uh, Romans, we, uh, I, I won't lie, I'm glad to be out of Romans 9 to 11. We've been dealing with some topics that are, that are difficult and, and ones that are, that you have to really grapple with. It would be a mistake to think when you reach Romans 12 because it's clear what, to me, it's pretty clear what it's asking for that somehow we breathe a sigh of relief because it's really hard to do. <laughs> what we're going to talk about in just two verses this morning is the, okay, so now what? Anytime I preach uh, on anything, and this is probably what's made Roman 9 through 11 difficult, is so what? I read these Bible verses. What does it matter to my life? You know, these questions of like election and how do we look at Gentiles and Jews and so how do I live differently because of this? Well, Paul is, is transitioning here in Romans 12.1 and he says, therefore, so basically everything that's preceded it probably, everything that's come up to this point, therefore, so what? How does a Christian live in response to what we've read? Because what we've read, remember, the Ark of Romans has been, look, the world is lost. It's dark. It's People don't know God, love God, care about God. And then those who hear the word, those who hear and see the gospel, suddenly get transformed, hopefully, and that the Holy Spirit begins to fill them. Then he takes this, side into Romans 9 to 11, and then we come out of, okay, so how do we live differently? What do we do? And it would be easy, I think, to begin with a list of do's and don'ts. We read the Ten Commandments. That wasn't sort of, that was just, we're going through the catechism this year. But like, okay, so now that I'm a Christian, I don't commit adultery. Well, that's a good idea, but is that it? Look at what he says. Look at how he begins how we live our lives. It says, I appeal, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, so just want to give you a few thoughts on this. This is temple language. We don't do sacrifices, right? I assume in your family, you know, your, your evening ritual doesn't include, you know, like animal sacrifice or something, but we don't. But but for them, remember, they were doing sacrifices at this time. There's animal sacrifices happening at the Jewish temple all the time. So this would have been, for them, something that would have not affected us in the same way. 
But he says, this this temple language, I appeal to you. Doesn't say I command you. It says, I appeal to you. I urge you. I beseech you. The word here, interesting, I haven't quite figured out all the ramifications of this, but the word is paraclete, where it says, I urge you, paracletos. It's the verb form of what we've used, the Holy Spirit. Paraclete's the word for an advocate or someone who comes alongside, someone who encourages. That's the word he uses, I urge you, paracletos. I urge you, I want you to live this way. What does he want you to do? He says, in view of the mercies of God, looking at what he's already done for you, I want you to do a lot of stuff. No, he says, I want you to present or offer something. I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, when we hear bodies, we think, rightly so, of our physical bodies. And it's not less than that. It is looking at how we, what we, what our physical bodies do. But the body, it's a euphemism for everything, totality. Because, you know, your spirit doesn't do a lot without your body following or your body proceeding somewhere. You know, it's your body goes where your body goes. So what is he wanting? And especially in a culture, in a Greco-Roman culture, where the body would generally be seen as what houses the things that were sinful in a platonic way, and the spirit would be good, but he says, I want you to present your physical bodies. And everything that goes along with that to God. Way back in Romans 3, Paul talks about the way sin affects our bodies. And he says in Romans 3.13 and following, he, he talks about the way when sin affects you, your lips begin to tell lies, you begin to be deceitful, your feet, it says, run to do bloodshed. He says you, it has an effect on your physical life. And in the same way, when God comes in, it should have effect on our physical lives. So what is he asking for a living sacrifice? Now that's kind of an oxymoron. If you know about sacrifices in the Old Testament, none of them came back alive. You don't come out alive as a, as a sacrifice. You just don't. But he says something different is happening here. Now there's several kinds of sacrifices in the Bible. Two main categories. You have a sin offering. And that was like Yom Kippur. You take care of someone's sin by killing an animal and the animal sort of bears your sins. It's not that kind because we know Jesus took care of that. But there were free will offerings. There were thank offerings. It's a second kind, a whole, what they call a whole burnt offering for many different occasions. And this was voluntarily given because you were so thankful to God. The animal still died though. Make no mistake about it. So this is a living dying, a living sacrifice. Very simply, I just just want to offer you this. Hey, Ike, can I borrow you just a second here? Can you? He's just close. Can you get up on the altar? All right. So here's our altar. Yeah, yeah. Just lie down. Lie down. Yeah, we're we're good. I think it'll support your way. Just lie down. All right. So how hard is it to be a living sacrifice? How hard is this? Get down. Can how hard is this hard for him? Not really. And yet, you're all in. Is it hard or is it not hard? Well, if he's gone, he's gone. I mean, 
It's hard to say yes, because if you know what it costs, but it's not hard to actually do. How do you feel? You good? Yeah, you're still a living sacrifice. But part of the issue is, are you going to stay on the altar, right? Living sacrifices tend to crawl off the altar. You can crawl off the altar now, that's good. I want you to see how easy it is and how hard it is. I want you to think about this. To be a living sacrifice is to say, I'm completely at your disposal. You can do with me what you want. Now, the lambs and the doves, and and we can feel sorry for the animals and the sacrifice, but the truth of the matter is, is that as image bearers of God, we have a choice to surrender and to be a living sacrifice. You can fool yourself, if you're a Christian, into thinking you're living as a sacrifice. I did. I've done it. I'll give you one example. When Nancy and I were... uh, We had been married about two years, and we were at a crossroads in terms of what sort of profession I was going to have, where we were going to live. We had come back from uh, a one-year mission kind of opportunity after I'd done a secular career in in sales and marketing and, and engineering, and I came. we came back. We were living with my wonderful in-laws and uh, trying to decide what to do. And so we... We were Christians, so we prayed, asked the Lord, what would you like us to do? And then we began to sculpt our list. And we said, okay, uh, here's here's what we think. We love, we're both pretty much native Virginians, and we love this area and love all of Virginia. So we we sort of said, okay, Lord, we'd like to live here. Or maybe North Carolina, that's kind of, you know, poor man's Virginia. And so we like to live, you know, we'd like to live in this area and... um, you know, this is sort of the salary range I'm looking for. I thought I'd go back into my secular career and, and get some of the, um, you know, skills and, and leverage some of that. So I kind of sculpted, these are the kind of jobs that we would like to do. And, uh, and this is sort of the lifestyle we'd like. And we actually looked at houses in a certain area. And I interviewed for some jobs in that area, got to the end of the interview process, was uh, going to be offered one very good job. And, and then all of a sudden it became clear that something within on us was not was not working. And we, we said, okay, Lord, we're going to turn down this opportunity. So what do you want for us? Nothing. Silence. Now, living with your in-laws for a week is great for them and for you. It's wonderful to catch a visit. Four or five months... And you're deciding whether or not you want to, you know, get out of the bathrobe and shave each day. It's not a good look for your father-in-law, believe me. I, uh, I wondered, okay, Lord, what's wrong? We're, we're now dead in the water. Nothing. Here's the sacrifice part. At some point, as Nancy and I really began to pray, you know, you pray about stuff and then you really pray about stuff. We began to really pray and say, what? And we took out the map. We'd actually physically had a map that we'd drawn circles over. And he says, so you're going to go where you want to go? Are you willing to go where I want you to go? Didn't say it quite that audibly, but that was clearly 
is this the problem is we've told you, Lord, we've determined what none of them were bad things. North Carolina is not a bad place. Virginia is not a bad place. The careers we chosen were not evil or bad. But we basically said the altar, well, not sacrificing everything, sacrifice a few things. And we were going to be good churchgoers wherever we ended up. We were going to raise our kids to love the Lord when we had started having children. It was all going to be good. But we were in charge. Ultimately, our hand was still on the wheel. Maybe I put this much of myself on the altar. You know, I had that much. I had my, I had my, but, but certainly wasn't to give my salary requirements. I, you know, I had made really good money as a salesman. So I had that much, but I knew what ministry jobs paid. I had that much, but I'm, I wasn't given that. Finally, another month at my wonderful in-law's house, and they're like, okay, Lord, so we just got down on our knees and said we'd take the circles off the map. Anywhere, anything, my life is yours, Lord. I will do what you want me to do. I'm not saying your story will end up like this, but literally within a couple days we had a phone call, random phone call from somebody in Central Florida who said, you know, a, a resume from like a year earlier came across your desk. Would you still be interested in a youth pastor Worship job in Central Florida. Guarantee you a couple weeks earlier, I would have said no. Because I wasn't on the altar. Guarantee I would have said no. The salary was... (laughs) But at this point, and it wasn't desperation, my in-laws would have been happy for us to move in forever. Not really, but... You know what I'm saying. It wasn't, I was getting no pressure to move out. I just knew that God, if you are in charge of my life, there can't be any circles. Nothing. You can't say, Lord, I'm on the altar. I'm, I'm a living sacrifice. I get to do what I want. It's, it's all or nothing. You were either on there. Is it hard or easy to get on the altar? It's easy in one sense and it's really hard in another. And we flew down and we started working there within a few weeks and it set the course of our life. From there, they sent us to seminary. We ended up meeting wonderful people in California where I went to seminary, some of whom are here this morning. Surprised, surprised us. And we then planted a church 20 years ago. We planted an EPC church in this area. So a decision to get on the altar changes the course of your life to say yes to God. And for you, it may not look like this story. It might just be that you're not really surrendered to God. You're not on the altar at all. You're still in control of your own life. You're making the calls. And getting on the altar may be just saying, Jesus, I need you to run my life. It's unmanageable. I can't deal with this. The sin is overwhelming me. Or it may be saying yes to God. I'll foster a child or I'll... Say yes to your opportunity to minister in some way that I never would have before. Or I'll say no to something that I would have said yes to. Lord, I'm yours. Direct me. Lead me. Show me. And then for Christians, once you're on the altar, the second, I feel like the second part of this is, so Paul says, There's a pattern of your life once you're a living sacrifice and holy and acceptable to God 
which is, it says your spiritual worship, the word spiritual there is the word logicon. It's the word for logic, rational, thinking man's worship. A thinking person's worship is that it makes sense if there is a God who controls everything, it makes sense to serve him. Now, if there's not a God, different story, but what's your narrative? What's your worldview? If there is a God, then to have your logical, rational, reasonable worship be his, then there's two patterns. And Paul says there's two patterns of life that the Christian has the choice to follow. Before you were a believer, people are conformed to this world. He says, don't be conformed to this world now, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So let me give you just one more visual this morning. You're going to have to pattern your life after something. Now this, I don't sew at all. My wife does. My other people I know do. Some of you all know what this is, right? A fabric pattern, right? You just trace it out. There's all the lines and A and B and it's just, I'm sure it's wonderful when you get all this unfolded and you lay it out, right? You put fabric on top of it, right? I, I hear that. And you sew this, some of the, some of y'all are getting hot flashes and sweating just thinking about this. But you know, you just lay out these lines, you put the fabric on it, you cut it out. Do you have any idea what this is going to produce? I, I don't at this point. There's just arrows and lines and cool little writing, one quarter inch hem. What does it say here? Yeah, quarter inch hem allowed, and then it's in foreign language. So you, you don't know but if you don't follow a template and a pattern for your life, you, you don't know. Here's another, here's another template and pattern. This one looks a little easier. I'll fold that back up. Sorry. Um, they know who I'm talking to. So this is another one that's in a little booklet and it's just little pictures. Cut here, draw here, pattern. This is a pattern too. Which pattern do you want? All depends what you want your life to look like. Bible says, this world, if you conform to this world, read Romans 1, 2, and 3, and you'll find out what your life will look like at the end of when you've made the pattern. The first one that we looked at, if you were good, would produce this lovely dress, right? That's, that's what it would come out to look like. A lifetime of sanctification and work. You produce something that looks like this. You conform to this world. You set the pattern of your life. And what, what does it look like to set the pattern of your life? Well, here's what it says. By the renewing of your mind. So this is mainly interior. This is mainly an interior way to live. What are you listening to? Who influences you? Who tells you what's true? You can read and watch a thousand voices. The bliss of the internet is that 20,000 people right now will tell you what is true. 10,000 will tell you one thing and 10,000 will tell you another. Or really 19,750 will tell you one thing and 250 will tell you another. And really, 19 million and 20 billion will tell you. You know what I'm saying? Voices. 
this claims to be true. Do you believe it to be true? Is it the voice of truth? If it is, you will set a pattern and cut a pattern of your life. Now, as some things aren't easy, I get there's nuance in this. The other thing, the little booklet we looked at, we created, this is what it creates. They don't look exactly the same. It's the exact same pattern. My wife made two of these, but different fabric. We don't all look the same, but they function the same. If you're transformed, if your pattern of life transforms you by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to end up looking like Jesus Christ at the end of the day. You'll end up looking, hopefully, like the way He lived and looked. So read about Him. If you don't know, there's four things the Gospels will tell you what Jesus looked like. And that's what He wants us to look like. That's His Spirit living inside you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want for us to know a good God who made for you to live a good way. Sometimes it's a hard way. Sometimes living sacrifices, it's hard. Let me just speak to you. If, if, if you don't believe and you know your life isn't surrendered to Jesus Christ, let me just say this. It's... It's as easy and as hard as getting yourself up on the altar and sacrificing and saying, Lord, I surrender my life to you. And I want to urge you this morning to just pray that prayer, to just say, Lord, I can't manage it anymore. I believe you died for me. I believe that my sin can't be paid for by any other way than you. Surrender your life and see what happens. If you're a Christian, but you know you've only, you, you, you're withholding something, you, you've thrown a leg off the altar, you say, well, Lord, I'm glad to be a good person in this regard, but don't touch my fill in the blank. Don't touch my money, Lord. Don't touch my children, Lord. Don't touch my health, Lord. Don't touch it. I'll serve you, but man, if you touch that, you're not good and I'm out of here. You're not on the altar. Now, am I saying God wants to touch your health or your money or your children? Absolutely not. Who's in charge? If he's God, he's God. He is good. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that as we enter into this portion of Scripture that teaches us how to live, you've started with the basic, Lord, of not what we do, Lord, but how we surrender in light of what you have done, in view of your mercy, in view that you didn't get off the altar alive. Lord, you actually died and then came back to life. That's the incredible thing. 
is that the one who died and lives again allows us to be living sacrifices as we enter into a life that we could never imagine for ourselves. Come, Lord. I want to give you a minute before we close. I'm just going to give a minute of silence. And I want you to just ask the question, Lord, am I ready to get on that altar to give my life to you? Am I ready to, is there something I need to surrender? Is there something, some way in which I'm, I'm holding back, I'm sinning, I haven't asked you? I've drawn circles around this and said, I'll do it this way. But I won't do this. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God to surrender as living sacrifices. Let's pray and then we'll close in worship.